Welcome to the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. We're dispensing stories of success from across the continuum of care. I'm your host, Hillary Blackburn. Thanks for joining us to learn from leaders throughout the pharmacy industry. Hello, listeners. In this episode, you'll hear from an executive director of a pharmacy association and what it's like to take that on and what some of the biggest issues facing the pharmacy profession are today. All right, so today we have a special guest on the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. Our guest, Anthony Pudlow, PharmD MBA, graduated from Drake University in 2007 and completed the University of North Carolina Community Pharmacy Residency in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. He has served as a clinical coordinator and regional clinical manager with Kerr Health in Asheville, North Carolina, where he worked directly with patients and physicians to prevent and treat chronic diseases. Prior to his current role, Dr. Pudlow had served as Vice President of Professional Affairs at the Iowa uh, Pharmacy Association for almost 10 years. In this role, he provided clinical resources to pharmacists across Iowa and served as liaison to state agencies and healthcare organizations to promote safe and effective medication use. In August 2021, Dr. Pudlow started in his current role as executive director of the Tennessee Pharmacists Association, and here he leads the association to advance, protect, promote high-quality pharmacist-provided patient care in the state of Tennessee. Anthony, welcome to the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. Uh, thanks for having me, Hillary. Pleasure to be here. Well, we are excited to have you join us. And now that our listeners have heard a little bit about your background, maybe you could fill in any gaps from that intro or share a little bit about your personal life. Yeah, well, I, I again, I appreciate being here. And I mean, that summary that summary you, you read through is, is a lot of what my professional life, obviously, uh, tales too. But uh, for me personally, yeah, I, I'm born and raised actually in the suburbs of Chicago. So I'm a, somewhat of a mis- Midwesterner at heart uh, now being here in uh, Nashville, Tennessee, where I'm living. But um, I guess personally, I've always just tried to uh, I utilize a, a lot of different ways to uh, kind of counteract the professional life that I have with uh, being more active in outdoors and sports and other things like that, that just keep me active. Um, so that's something that uh, I think has always been a, a fun thing outside of probably keeping uh, active with uh, my four-legged uh, roommate of a hound dog that I have. Um, I've always been a dog lover. So, but uh, besides uh, Boomer is his name, uh, besides him and I, that's, that's uh, a little bit about me. I have a I come from a family with just a, an older sibling, a sister that is in healthcare. Her and I were the only two that uh, pursued healthcare careers in our family. Uh, she's a physical therapist by training, and uh, I, I do what I can to uh, be the best supporting uh, brother and uh, sibling to her, as well as her now three little kids, um, and trying to be the best uncle that I can to to all of them. So that's that's a little bit about me. Um, I have two. Uh, my parents are still alive. Um, they're up in the Midwest as well, and try to stay in close communication with them. And uh, they're uh, what keep me grounded as well. And, and what I do from a day to day basis as now leading the Tennessee Pharmacists Association. Yeah, I 
I think listeners and people always like to get to know a little bit more of the personal side. So um, thanks for giving us a little bit of a glimpse in, into to that side of you. Um, cause you know, we, we do see you as kind of the poster for the APHA annual meetings. Um, you've, you know, modeling might be next in your career. I don't know, but, um, anyway, still looking um, to get some royalties, I think from that photo, but yes. Um, so, um, Anthony, we are delighted to have you in, uh, to help, um, you know, support and, and champion, uh, you know, what, uh, the calls for pharmacy, uh, in the state of Tennessee, you've, um, been here, uh, just about a year now. Um, can you tell us, you know, uh, in this time, you know, short duration that you've been here, what have been, uh, some of the big, you know, well, I guess people, first off, maybe people might want to hear a little bit about, um, you know, the dream of being an executive director or being in, being in association management, what are some things that, that people might need to do to, if they want to make, um, that part of their career, uh, plan? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, you know, it's, I, I think in my career, even, even dating back into pharmacy school, you know, I, I always found, um, some of my pleasure professionally and understanding what the professional organizations were doing. Um, I don't think part of it, I think at that point was really because uh, probably like many students these days, um, you enter the profession of pharmacy without maybe having much um, tied to the profession within your, within your family or your upbringing. Um, it's just, a, it's a little bit more rare to see, uh, children of pharmacists or, or or whatnot getting into the profession that way, and so for me, I, I think I got involved um, in professional organizations because I just didn't know what kind of pharmacist I wanted to be um, throughout school. So dabbling in um, what APHA can offer, what ASHP can offer, what NCPA, the whole alphabet soup, um, and I think what and as I look back and reflect on a lot of it, and you know what kind of got me into this position now. You know, I, I think throughout my career, I always thought, you know, that association involvement was going to be there. Um, I, I, I always enjoyed it, the, the networking side of it to understanding other areas of practice that just were not familiar to me. Um, and so I, I, I think I always saw myself as, yeah, I, I could be probably on the board of directors of an association at some point, maybe potentially my career being a president, right? Um, but it was never a, a thought process that I was going to get into um, the actual staffing, being a staff member at an association, um, until probably um, near the end of my time in North Carolina. I think I started seeing this opportunity that you know there was some really cool things happening in the profession that I, I wanted to be like this amplifier, this microphone to say, pharmacists, you, you can take advantage of these great opportunities to be compensated for your services or make these changes in your workflow or work in these team-based models. And uh, it, it somewhat dawned on me that there was this just great opportunity to, to do more of that by getting involved as a staff member at the association. Mm-hmm. So I, I think from a skill set perspective, to me, just like I think a lot of pharmacists realize that you know, you're never going to know everything. Um, and I think in the world of professional associations, your your job is to never know everything. I, maybe I'm a jack of all trades in that regard. But um, 
you know, I, I think my job is to try to know who is the right points of contact to help give me the right insight into an issue in the profession. Um, so trying to make those relationships um, is always something um, that I think we try to do. So yes, um, you know, trying to be more outgoing and, and energetic to, uh, uh, you know, help pharmacists understand where their voice needs to be heard, um, pulling them into these conversations um, being that convener of, of those conversations, I think is that type of skill set. If anybody's listening and have taken those types of strengths finders analysis, you'll, you'll want to be that kind of person that um, tends to uh, bring people together, but never, um, I, I guess it's not like we do this for the credit either. So you usually are looking to um, give uh, people credit for the work they're doing. It's, it's, um, that's probably for me, the more rewarding side of it is um, helping to put others on a podium, on a pedestal for the great things they're doing in our state, wherever um, that might be, do, wherever that might be happening. So hopefully that gives a little bit of insight um, into it. Uh, I mean, I think I, I've always just enjoyed those moments where I can have a great conversation with a member. They, we were able to do something for them, whether it was legislatively or a new resource that we developed. Or, or just troubleshoot an issue with a PBM or, or a payer or whatever it might be. And all of a sudden, this, this pharmacist or technician was able to make a dramatic change in their practice. Um, and those are, the, those are those feel-good moments that uh, I think a lot of pharmacists get um, that are on the front lines dealing with patients. When you see a, a, the, the, the impact of, of your knowledge and your skills in the life of a patient, it's the same way at the association. I get, I get excited when... Um, when I can see a change happen um, with a pharmacist or a technician that I'm working with. Yeah. Oh, love hearing that. <laughs> well, so maybe you could walk us through some of the, the big uh, issues and, and things that you've been working on uh, at the state level uh, for this past year. And, you know, what are some of the goals uh, of the association for, you know, your first one to, you know, five years in office? Yeah, sure, Hillary. You know, it's been an interesting time. I'm sure as you've spoken to a lot of other pharmacists, you know, we're, we're still in the midst of a pandemic, right? And um, all the things that come with that, whether there's issues legislatively that are being debated at the state or national level. I know many states have convened in the last year special sessions to discuss issues within the pandemic and how, how states are trying to mitigate um, some of the efforts um, to, to over or really mitigate the efforts around the pandemic. And so we, you know, always have had to keep on the pulse of what's going on there from all aspects of coming out of this pandemic and trying to come out of this pandemic. Um, and so definitely that's been still front and center for the, any really any association um, you look at every aspect um, and that's not just dealing with the pandemic, it's dealing with pharmacy professionals and workload and, and burnout in our profession and really how it relates to all other healthcare professionals um, outside of the issues that are even broader than healthcare related to supply chain issues and how that's beginning to impact us. So, you know, trying to be a resource and a liaison um, at the state level to those key issues um, has still been very front and center since I've started here in the state of Tennessee. You know, I think at, at also at best, you know, we also are always trying to deal with some of those um, pressures facing our profession. And I might point out 
um, some of the concerns um, related to pharmacy benefit managers. I think every state and really depending on any area of practice you're in, um, there is some level of influence that PBMs are impacting the way um, pharmacists and pharmacy professionals practice. And so um, we've been really since I've started trying to look at having enforceable PBM um, legislation and regulation in the state of Tennessee. When I came in um, to the state last summer, um, you know, I was able to see that we were able to be successful in passing a bill last year. Um, unfortunately, though, there was many components in that bill that just were not enforceable um, and for a lot of different reasons. But um, it was something that really quickly trying to work with our members to say, where, where was this bill successful and where was there maybe some gaps that we needed to um, close and, and make sure that the state here in our insurance uh, division could actually enforce um, all aspects of the bill. And, and what we realized is that we really needed to come forward with a new piece of legislation um, this year. And um, we're at that point where I think we're going to be, um, we're just days away from hopefully seeing that bill um, either be signed or, or not be vetoed, I guess, and become active in our state. And that still is just one of many steps because now we'll have to see that bill um, become enforced and, and make an impact on all pharmacy practice settings, right? So um, I, I think we had to be very reactive to those kind of pressures. And that's just one example. There's been a lot of other things that happened um, legislatively and outside of the legislature that um, the association had to be well aware of. Um, at the same time, trying to be proactive. You know, I think one of the great things when I came to Tennessee, I was very well aware of some of the great work that uh, my predecessor had um, accomplished um, in terms of getting pharmacists recognized as providers and being compensated for those services. So um, really trying to make sure, are we putting out enough resources and education to um, not just help those early adopters that wanted to um, utilize this new um, opportunity to be recognized, but get through to even more pharmacists and more practice settings to see what more we can do. Um, so, so those are probably more the professional um, issues at hand that I'd say I've stepped into um, outside of a lot of other things. Um, but at the same time, I think we've had just internal changes and transitions that happened. Um, I, I've been trying to say it's never been the great resignation in my mind. There's just been this great transition across everyone. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, there's just like this moving of chairs and, and, and shuffling of, of roles that um, TPA was not immune to that either. One of our pharmacists on our staff was um, able to take a great opportunity to become our new executive director at the Board of Pharmacy, um, which is a great, great opportunity for for her, but also for the association, I think, and having a, a strong uh, ally, if you will, and, and her training and her work that she had at the association. But that then opened up this, um, this uh, uh, opportunity for us to look at new ways to serve our members by hiring um, new staff members with different skill sets that, um, that we really needed to utilize. So yeah, I'm you know, we've had a lot of a uh, couple changes like that within our staff that, um, you know, just like any employer has had to work um, to onboard new staff and, and make sure that the, the organization, the pharmacy, take, take your, your pick, um, is moving forward for the betterment of, of our mission and vision. So, mm -hmm. Absolutely. yeah. 
There's, there's, that's a, just, just a little bit of a, a, of a, the things that have been on my plate. I think moving forward, um, you know, I've been really fortunate that coming in our leadership at the association really had laid the foundation for a lot of things that they wanted the new executive director, even before I was named and even before I applied, um, they wanted the new executive director to be really focused on um, looking at, you know, big, big level issues within the structure of the association. How well are we um, meeting the needs of pharmacists and technicians on the front lines and being relevant to pharmacists and technicians in all areas of practice. Mm -hmm. Um, TPA itself is, it's a, it's a unified merged organization. Mm -hmm. So we represent professionals across all areas of practice. And I think every listener out there knows we have a a very diverse profession. The PharmD degree can take you in so many different places. Um, And so that's something that our leadership said, we need to take a hard look at um, our bylaws, our structure, our committees, um, our board structure to say, how are we best engaging and bringing in leaders in the state to convene conversations that um, need to be had, right? Uh, and so that's been one big area. And, you know, I think membership is always a key aspect, advocacy and education. Those are always going to be these key core strategic focus areas for many state pharmacy associations. So that's no different. Um, but I think there's just this general excitement of having a new a new person a, and even an out-of-stater, if you will, um, mm-hmm. to say, let's look hard and fast and bring in some perspectives that I've had um, in working in Iowa, North Carolina, some of my other experiences working with my colleagues in other states and say, yeah, what's, um, what does TPA need and how best can we accomplish that? So yeah, it's exciting times in that regard, Hillary. Absolutely. And yes, I think you've been a, a quick study and have really gotten out and uh, gotten to know your members and um, of course bring such great experience from uh, the you know background that you have as you've mentioned so and you know you hit on the the pandemic um, mm-hmm. and you know with that uh, you know a lot of challenges but a lot of uh, opportunities and maybe speak a little bit more about how, you know, your perspective on how the pandemic really helped to shine a light on the role of pharmacists and how um, now is such a great time to really capitalize on the, you know, advancement of pharmacists as providers um, Mm -hmm. federally, you know, there's some newer things with the test to treat uh, that has been introduced uh, maybe you could speak uh, to that a bit. Yeah, you know, if, if there wasn't any more of a time to spotlight what pharmacists, what technicians, what students are capable of doing for our healthcare system, it's been these past two, two plus years, right? Um, whether you focus on being a, a true manager of medications and other aspects in the supply chain. You think early on in the pandem- pandemic, how we did everything we could to make sure people had PPE, right? To um, understanding the the uh, use of evidence-based medicine as we were trying to figure out what were the right drugs that could be used to treat COVID and, and now even prevent COVID. Um, you know, those are those are all things that I think pharmacists were on full display um, probably before even the vaccine rollout happened. 
Um, you look at, you know, when pharmacies were actually granted more authorities to properly um, do testing of COVID um, to then obviously expanding the use with um, the vaccines, the monoclonal antibody treatments, as well as some of our oral antivirals now too. You know, I think every aspect, and, and it's not just community pharmacy. It's not just when we saw a lot of efforts in long-term care. It's not hospital. I mean, it's every area of the profession. And I think that's been, to me, what I've seen, even some people that I've been meeting, um, just local friends in, in Tennessee, as I've tried to, to, to expand my social network, um, people are like, yeah, you know, we've, I've seen pharmacists. I've seen pharmacists in areas that I never thought I would see before. Um, partially just because I think most of the public just see the traditional community-based pharmacists um, as the face of the profession. But um, I think we've seen the value across every aspect because of the pandemic. Now it's how do we turn that message into um, that? How do we show that value proposition to, to your point, whether it's federal legislation and getting properly recognized um, at the federal level and being properly compensated for the service side of things to more efforts at the state level. Mm -hmm. um, and I think we've, we've utilized the pandemic in that regard to also help with um, changes at the state level here in Tennessee. One of our efforts this year was just to help modernize the definition of a technician to recognize that pharmacists, um, they, they need to be able to delegate certain technical tasks to, 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 to trained and experienced pharmacy technicians. Um, and we, we utilize some of uh, the guidance from our national colleagues to really, uh, to really see that to, um, to, to the finish line this year. And we were able to do that. Now we'll see our board of pharmacy make some um, adjustments in the rules. So a lot of the things that have come from the PREP Act um, at the national level, you know, I think many states, not just Tennessee, but many states are trying to codify that in law at the state level and make sure that, you know, we've, we've made all these adjustments in our practice setting, we can't go back. Um, and so, you know, I think that's only going to um, move, uh, become more prominent in, in many states moving forward as um, we will eventually, you know, I think lose the um, national emergency proclamation and we'll, we'll, um, see see something happen that needs to happen for for the betterment of the profession mm -hmm. um and and as you you are alluding to you know there's been federal legislation proposed there's been um the new uh, future of pharmacy care coalition that's really tried to help us um, bring together this concept of that the profession can do more um, of this and it's not just COVID related um, and i think that's been where pharmacists have been able to you know, in, in between the thousands of COVID vaccinations and testing and everything else, been able to promote themselves, you know, um, and highlight what, what they're able to do at the local level. I know at the state level, one of my efforts since I've started is just to try to start telling that story more to the media and making sure the media has told that story to the public that pharmacists are here to help. And whether it is vaccinations, whether it is testing and treating, um, those are all capabilities that pharmacists have um, showcased in the last two years. So I'm, I'm excited for it. You know, I think what will ultimately come forward is um, making sure that third party payers will um, at the same time recognize that value 
and, and actually compensate pharmacists for it. Um, I, I think we want to see more of that at the state level um, so, so that pharmacies can be properly compensated. So as I work and communicate with my colleagues in other states, I know many of them are working very diligently to see payment for services come forward for many of these things that have been um, there because of the pandemic. But now we need to translate that into other public health urgencies and urgent matters um, that, that pharmacists are stepping up to, to, to address. Absolutely. And I appreciate that, you know, you shared that the pandemic, the, the emergency orders keep kind of continuing and mm-hmm. through those have expanded a lot of scope of, you know, technician administered right. vaccines and, you know, the other things that uh, pharmacists have been able to do. So it is a little bit harder to unwind that. Um, so we did talk a little bit about some of the opportunities uh, that, you know, has has been brought, you know, for pharmacists uh, with, through the pandemic. Um, but, you know, one of the challenges uh, has really been, of course, burnout as, you know, has has just really gotten even more inflamed. And then, uh, you know, the mental health crisis that we're seeing uh, across the country. And I love, you know, one of uh, something about your background uh, that I think Iowa has, has really championed is the mental health first aid. Tell us a little bit more about that and how pharmacists can even play a role uh, in, you know, this uh, you know, epidemic that's happening across the U.S. Right. Um, well, yeah, I appreciate you bringing this up. And I know at least right now we're speaking while it's still Mental Health Awareness Month and um, some of the uh, you know national issues that I think are continuing to spotlight the need for improvement in mental health. Um, you know, I, I, I'd like to claim that Iowa was a, a, was a leader in this, but, you know, mental health first aid itself, it, it was a program um, established um, from our colleagues in Australia, actually. Um, and it, it came to the States, oh gosh, probably about 15, 20 years now ago. Um, and I think a lot of states have utilized this when we think about um, various types of traumatic situations. And I, I think we saw it in Iowa um, utilized a lot with our farmers and our farming community when there was some very um, a dramatic, severe flooding um, several years ago in the state. And, you know, our leadership, when I was still in Iowa, they recognized that pharmacists could do more. Um, But at first and foremost, we need to um, help the pharmacy professional um, try to overcome some of the stigma tied to it. And mental health first aid, um, it's it's one of a couple different types of trainings out there. So I'm not going to claim it's the only all um, the one and only training um, for it. But I, we've usually used the analogy when we think about um, uh, CPR as, as more physical first aid, um, mental health first aid is really meant to help the lay public, just like CPR is, um, but help the lay public understand what to do and how to properly address an individual that is um, maybe having a mental health crisis situation. So using a very similar mnemonic like we use with CPR, but in mental health first aid, they use the mnemonic of algae to really help people understand how do we first and foremost assess um, for risk of suicide or harm in that individual that you might be approaching, whether it's a 
psychotic episode, if it is suicide that they're claiming is 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 um, what's at hand, or if it's an anxiety attack. Um, so how do you properly assess that risk and ask the questions? Um, from there, the training really leads people to understand how do you properly and and properly listen in a non-judgmental manner. Um, and at the same time, giving reassurance and information to individuals for, you know, what, what might be happening. Um, there's a lot of focus on encouraging appropriate professional health and encouraging self-help and other support strategies that all kind of encompass this idea of um, things that I think the general public need to um understand as we have all, I think the pandemic has tested all of our mental, um, our mental capacities in the last two years. Um, and so, yeah, I, I definitely encourage what we had done in Iowa was really focused on training pharmacists and pharmacy technicians um, to uh, understand a little bit more about mental health crisis um, situations and how to uh, uh, address that from whether you are working with a patient that comes into your pharmacy, if it's a, a worker or a colleague, a coworker, or even if it's just a loved one, a family or a friend um, at home. And so that training is out there. I encourage if, if anybody's ever interested, you can just Google mental health first aid and find a local training. Um, they've recently revamped the training and, and offered it online in, in different fashions. Um, you know, if, if it is a training conducted by pharmacists, I know our colleagues at the National Community Pharmacists Association had worked with the, um, the, the national group that put this together for the U.S. Um, and, and accredited for pharmacists and technicians CE. I know our colleagues at APHA have, uh, have, have worked with certain pharmacy groups like Walgreens to, to offer CE for some of their employees in a mini version of it as well. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's one of many um, for, for anybody else that's very interested in this. I, I always tell people, you know, get involved. There's lots of organizations out there that really want to address and try to counteract some of the issues within the mental health care system. So there's the National Alliance for Mental Illness, NAMI. Um, they have their own type of provider training as well. Or if you're looking specifically at just suicide prevention, um, there are specific trainings there. Or if it's substance use disorder, you can look at many states um, through through some assistance by the federal government focus on um, SBIRT training or screening and brief referral for intervention. Oh, gosh, I'm going to butcher that. Screening, brief referral for intervention training. Oh, oh my gosh, I'm not getting that right, Hillary. But um, SBIRT's another one. There's so many different trainings out there depending on um, what aspect of a mental health care that you're looking for. I think what I always have to tell pharmacists is something like mental health first aid or uh, many of these other programs are really meant, again, for certain aspects of our society, mostly for the lay public. So it's not going to be you're not going to be getting heavy clinical um, information about the medications used in the if you're trying to brush up on SSRIs and SNRIs. Um, that's not what it's there for. Um, it's really right. meant to better understand signs and symptoms and when somebody's actually progressing into more of a crisis situation. So, mm -hmm. yeah, that, thank you. I think that's, that's so helpful. And I'm, I'm so glad you mentioned, you know, May is mental health awareness month and 
uh, yeah, we're especially uh, in teens, you know, over the last year, that's yeah. really become uh, a real challenge. So there, there's certainly been, you know, personal and professional lessons, of course, learned from the pandemic. Uh, anything that comes to you that you would want to speak about? You know, um, lots of lessons learned. I, I tend to talk with, with my friends, colleagues about more just, I think we all have had a personal journey throughout the pandemic. And I think as I've reflected on it, I've always looked at it as just that the power of the mind is, is such um, a great thing. Um, and I think people that maybe have had their lives tested in other ways prior to the pandemic realize that. Um, but I, I think as many of us might've been in much more uh, isolation throughout the last two years, um, you quickly realize um, what what the mind can do and, and how to keep it fresh as well um, at the same time. So, you know, some of us probably learned a new hobby or realize you really like to cook or you're good at cooking or um, even some folks like myself decided to go back to school um, throughout this, this, this last two years and, uh, and pursue, um, additional master's level training. And so, you know, I think all of us have seen, um, the, the power of what we can do individually. Um, but, you know, to me, I, I think when we bring each other together is when, you know, we can see so much more become accomplished. So, you know, I, I think we've done a lot for ourselves um, and actually probably even reflected on what's most important for ourselves over the last two years. But I think many of us know that um, we're all part of a human race that needs to do things together um, for the betterment of who we are as a people. And so I'm, I'm just um, excited for us to hopefully start coming out of this and realize that um, while we're all just individuals, um, we're, we're still ultimately a collective voice uh, moving forward. Yeah. So Anthony, you, we've gotten so many, you know, great, uh, pieces of information that you've been able to share with us, uh, about your, your journey, uh, as a pharmacist and, uh, some of the things that you're working on as the executive director for the Tennessee Pharmacist Association. One of the questions that I love to ask our guests, uh, for our final question is what is some advice you would tell your younger self or for other pharmacists out there who are just getting started in their career? Mm. Um, that's a great, great question, Hillary. And I think I knew that coming in that you might ask that. Um, you know, I'm a quote person. I, I, I think throughout my life, um, that's what always comes back to helping me um, stay level-headed and, and reflect on who I am, where, where my life's at. Um, it's helped me build better relationships with my mentors. Um, you know, and, and I think if I was going to talk to my younger self, uh, a quote that I, I received a little bit later in my life was, um, and I don't know the, the actual origin of it, but we always used to say this with my team in, in, in North Carolina, and I've uh, tried to bring it to my team in Iowa and now here in Tennessee is, it's just that you, you eat an elephant one bite at a time. You know, I think we all probably can reflect and say, I don't know how I can squeeze any more into any given day. And, um, you know, I think if we just slow down, reflect on what matters most, um, you know, 
take some of these bigger issues that are going on in our personal lives and our professional lives and, and the profession of pharmacy as, as a whole. Um, if you can just slow down and, and tackle what you know you're capable of doing, you'll, you'll find yourself um, happier in your life and, and more uh, fulfilled in how you go about um, everything that you, um, that you, you pursue. So yeah, I, I think that's what I would probably lean towards. Eat an elephant one bite at a time. All right. Very, very good advice. Well, Anthony, it was a pleasure to have you as a guest on the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. Thank you so much, Hillary. Thanks for listening to this episode of Talk to Your Pharmacist, produced by the Pharmacy Advisory Group. If you liked this episode, let us know by subscribing to the podcast, rating and reviewing it. Share it with friends. And if you want to be a guest or know a pharmacist leader who has a great story to tell, connect with me, Hillary Blackburn, on LinkedIn and check out our Facebook page, Pharmacy Advisory Group, for updates on new podcasts. Thanks for listening. 